You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, you are a fan of Notre Dame football, so allow me to ask you an analogy here at 744 on this Friday morning. Are you ready? Please, no Marshall jokes. Um, I will not make a Marshall. My buddy Marshall Gephardt would have enjoyed that. See, there's another one for your bingo. That Mark, three friend references before 745. <laughs> I'm, on. I'm close. Might need that Miller Lite that I had at uh, the Brickyard the other day. I might need one of those. The coffee didn't work today, so I'm we'll see. I'm sorry that I'm a man work. of many friends. Um, when Notre Dame's maybe a little harsh, but as a Clemson fan, I will watch, like, in Clemson, especially in their, in their like, the – the prime national championship years for Clemson. I would watch Clemson and then I would watch like a Purdue Minnesota game. And I'm like, man, there is just a massive difference here. Like just in terms of the speed and the precision of the teams. And for that matter, I watch Clemson now and I'm like, okay, I can see that that's not the Clemson, you know, the prime. Right. And like Notre Dame, I would imagine there are times where you watch them and then you watch Alabama and you're like, okay, there's clearly a different level there. Right. Um, in watching Kansas City, who will be here this weekend, in any way, shape, or form, do you watch Kansas City like in their game against the Chargers after you had just watched the Colts against Houston or Jacksonville and think to yourself, the, these are two totally different levels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Varsity versus JV. I mean, it definitely feels that way, mm-hmm. does it not? Yep. Yep. The old six o'clock game for the JV and then the 7 30 game for the varsity. And yeah, the yeah. thing that is fascinating to me is that. Yet, the the AFC, I mean, it seems, you know, there are far more teams like the Colts than there are Kansas City, obviously. But as Frank Reich said, I don't think that Frank Reich deserves necessarily the complete mockery that people think when he said, we're not that far off. Because that sounds crazy because of who they played. Those two teams are terrible that they played so far, at least we think so. But... If you look at the overall power structure of the AFC, I think there are a lot of people that think like Indianapolis is still kind of in that mix with, you know, maybe Miami has has taken the elevator up a little bit and you're like, whoa, I didn't know they were getting off on this floor. But Cleveland maybe is in that same category. So there are teams that are kind of rising up to, to the Colts level while the Colts are maybe going in the wrong direction. But my point long-winded here is it feels like they're in a different category than Kansas City, but... I still think Sunday is winnable, and I, I this is my last this is my last pass I'm giving them. I do think they're going to win Sunday, and if they make me a fool for that, which <laughs> there's a lot of other things that you can point to to make me a fool, but if they get blown out, then I'll say you know what I'm done with them. But I have the belief that they're not as far away, and that gap is not as big as what we've seen so far. Yeah, I, I think the gap is pretty big, Jake. Um, but I would say this. The Colts are, I think, better equipped to handle one part of the blueprint with Kansas City than most teams. And that is having the presence of a Jonathan Taylor, being able to potentially play a ball control type of game. Like, you know, Miami, for example, they're better than the Colts right now. Would you say that? Yeah. Um... Yeah, certainly the record says yes. How about Denver? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe Denver hasn't gotten off to a great start. I but think like, Denver's probably in the same – but like, yes, point taken. But they don't have this 
bell cow running back that could potentially grind out at 160 yard afternoon do it to 25 carries and you look at the time possession at the end of the game and the Colts have had the ball for 12 more minutes in Kansas City we'll have Matt Taylor on a little bit later Matt brought up a great point earlier in the week and I know time possession it can kind of be a finicky stat you know to a lot of people it doesn't matter at all Um, but if you look in the Mahomes era when the Chiefs have lost the time of possession significantly they're like I think the stat was like three and ten, right? I mean that's that's a jarring stat when you think about how successful they've been, and I think we should note one of Kansas City's best linebackers, Willie Gay, suspended this past week for four games. And I think if there is a chink in the Kansas City Kansas City armor, it is a little bit of the can they be a upper echelon run defense. Now, they don't get challenged in the AFC to that level on a routine basis, but if someone wants to go that path, can they kind of match that on the defensive line? So I do think that part of the blueprint, Jake, pounding Taylor, playing a little bit more ball control, trying to have long drives, they can do that. My issue is the other part of the blueprint, and that's the four-man rush getting home. If you look at Mahomes' career, he has feasted on what Gus Bradley wants to do defensively. The whole cover three. I mean, hell, if you look at it last year, the Chiefs scored over 40 points in both meetings against Gus Bradley and the Raiders. That, that to me, is where the worry comes from. It's, can your four-man rush get home? Because if it doesn't and you don't disrupt timing, you let Mahomes sit back there for three or four seconds... That dude is going to find something eventually. And that is where the concern comes at it for me. And then you throw in an Ngakwe injury situation, those factors. That's the part of the blueprint that I just can't get behind. Well, I think if the Chiefs just get off to a hot start and the Colts continue their streak of a cold start and say the Chiefs get up to multiple scores, you're taking Jonathan Taylor out of the equation. You're forcing Matt Ryan and the wide sure. receiver group to try to beat you at that point, and I don't think they can keep up with Kansas City. They should scoring. have the roof open because if the Chiefs get off to a fast start, that bad boy's going to collapse, right? It's going to cave in. Because yeah. you, you get behind them with John, the problem the Colts have. And that's what they did in 2019 is they played from ahead for a large part of that game when they upset Kansas City. Right. At, and they hit Mahomes early and often. Eight hits on Mahomes in that game, four sacks. If they come close to matching that on Sunday, this could be a game. I, I just think I just don't the, think I can. When your main offensive weapon is your running game, you can't get behind. I mean, for the obvious reasons, from a clock standpoint, you can't get behind too early or else you're in trouble. I don't think there's a lot of, like, you look at that 2019 matchup at Arrowhead, Sunday Night Football, the Colts win that game. We've talked about it a few times this week. 45 carries in that game. Tyreek Hill did not play in that game. Ironically enough, neither did Shaquille Leonard. Um, He was banged up. Travis Kelsey in that game? Four catches on 10 targets. How often is that going to happen? Right? And we've seen tight ends usually absolutely feast on the Colts. So that is something that you look ahead to Sunday. And by committee, they've really been that wideout this season without Tyree Kill. Kelsey is still Kelsey. What can you do to neutralize him? Jake, maybe I'm putting too much stock into this. I just don't see Kansas City. I get to the. I think they have Tampa Bay next week. 
I just don't see them as treating this as much of a trap game as so many people. I think Kansas City-wise are worried about, and for a couple of reasons. They're in a loaded division. They know that any slip-up there, and all of a sudden, that AFC West could go in a different direction. Yeah, that. And look at what Buffalo did Monday night. I mean, if you're Kansas City, you've had 10 days off since your last game, and you sit there and you watch Monday night football, and you see what Buffalo did, you gather as a team on Tuesday and say, guys, if we want that number one seed, we might need to win 15 games. Like It might take that with how Buffalo has looked early in the season. And again, to reiterate, with the expanded playoffs a couple years ago, it's no longer the number one and number two seed each get a bye. It's just the number one seed that gets a bye, plays one less game, obviously has home field throughout. So there's just a part of me that thinks Kansas City will be a little bit more locked in this isn't like the week eight game where you know you might get lost in the shuffle I still think it's early enough in the season where they're gonna be pretty focused your other question that's a good one I don't want to say any names and out anybody in case they would you know people would be offended by it but um already in the building I've seen one co-worker wearing a Patrick Mahomes jersey today was it Jimmy Cook I mean that's a that betting favorite right it was, right it was not Jimmy Cook are you saying a lot of red and yellow in the building? What percentage will it be? What'd you say? You say 15 yesterday? I might up that to 20. Yeah, it, it'll be a loud, loud 20. Loud and proud, right? You yeah. know, another thing to Mark's point about getting <laughs> off to a good start, Jake, if you go three and out, Kansas City scores, there will be boo birds. You think so? Without question. Without question. Are they booing the guys on the field, or are they booing the construction of the guys on Probably the field? Probably the latter. They're booing the entire operation. Yeah. I, I, I met this in all seriousness yesterday. I, tweet, I, I posted like an article to our website about kind of do the Colts have any sort of blueprint to beat Kansas City? And I meant it in all seriousness, Jake. These are some of the responses that I got on Twitter. Can you say them on air? I quote, I can get the blueprint to build a house. Doesn't mean I can build it. The Colts have a better chance of forfeit. Kansas City hasn't shown up yet, right? If the Chiefs get a COVID outbreak, that's the only chance the Colts have. Wow. Okay. Here's the thing, though. NFL teams are like the super hot girl in college. You can say to your buddies, like, I'm telling you right now, if she flakes out one more time, that's it. It's over. No, it's not. No, it's not. Was Sean Copeland the Chiefs fan? I have no comment. Ooh, that's, that's mm. I like Sean Copeland, but those B-Bucks, they might be going towards a Patrick Mahomes There's not too many jersey. people in this building when we walk in, so that's that's true. I have no comment. Oh, boy. Mark, I got news for you, buddy. That sun is about to blast you. Coming through this window, it is a gorgeous sunrise this morning. Let's uh, let's sneak <laughs> let's sneak Mike in. Speaking of Patrick Mahomes, right? Let's sneak Mike in before we get to Greg Greg shot top of the hour. Good morning, Mike. Hey, what's going on, guys? How uh, you doing? Uh, another day as a Colts fan. So I mean, I'm sure you can tell. Um, Mike, you sound so, depressed. Are you depressed? <laughs> well, yeah, because so this year I've been a season ticket for eight years now. And I just renewed this year in the 111 or section 115, almost 10 grand. And then to put it on display like this makes me not even want to renew. <laughs> but 
But here's the thing. You will, won't you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't okay. know. I'm, I'm half tempted to sell my tickets. I didn't even go to any of the preseason games, which I never do. But um, So, purpose of my call, man, I heard y'all talking Monday. I tried to get in. I, I couldn't. Um, about Ballard and Wright. I say fire both of their asses. I don't, I don't like Ballard's philosophy and free agency. I don't like Wright's game plan and, you know, his, his aggressiveness sometimes bites us bites in the ass. Uh, my main point of the call today was at what point, you know, I don't care 0-4-1 or 0-6-1 or 1-5-1, whatever the case may be, at what point does this guy say, all right, Indianapolis, Bowen in particular, you guys was right. I need a, re- I need a receiver. He's going to make a call to ODB or TY. I mean, when, when does it happen, man? I mean, just tell us we was right. That's uh, and here's the thing, Mike. I think Mike sounds like a fun guy to have a beer with. It, it, my PBR party. I think I might invite Mike. Mike's a frequent listener, fr- frequent I caller. I don't think Kevin and I got invites to that yet. What's that? No. Your PBR party. Well, so you guys like, have it with me every morning. <laughs> PBR. No, well, certainly. not that, but <laughs> I could use um, one. I, listen, I think it's a great point, though. I mean, there there probably is a level of for Chris Ballard. Now, Odell Beckham, people need to get that out of their head because he ain't going to be healthy until at least Thanksgiving, right? And again, why would he want to come here? Right. Right. I mean, he could go to – you know, he, somebody's going to see Odell Beckham Jr. as their final piece for a Super Bowl like last year, right? But I get it why fans would, would, would be pining for Chris Ballard to simply say and, – and, and I get it from Chris Ballard's standpoint that there is a level of humility of, you know what, I was wrong. Because he, he he dug his heels in, boy, on the receiver thing, right? I mean, yep. it wasn't just you, Kevin. He's dug his heels in on it. He is the smartest guy in the room, and anybody that says that they should get a receiver doesn't know the room and doesn't know the, the temperate and doesn't know how to build a team and whatever else, right? To Mike's That's point, a loaded question. <laughs> to Mike's point, um, Ballard did say several times, you know, we'll get through the start of the season, we'll do this, and then we'll evaluate Whiteout. It's a long season. We might make a move in season. To me, you're just wasting golden opportunities. Games are too precious. You're not a good enough football team to squander opportunities like they've squandered and think that you can overcome that. Oh, yeah, we'll just sign a Whiteout in October, and that'll cure all. Well, there's a reason you haven't won a September football game since 2020. Be a crisp one tonight. For Friday Night Lights, I believe it's week six. We've got Franklin Central and Noblesville tonight on our airways. Greg Rakestraw joins us right now from ISC. Rake, uh, who you got tonight? I have Ben Davis and Lawrence North as Ben Davis hopes to run their league record to 3-0. and I remember the start of the year, we were kind of like 6A is pretty wide open. Uh, some five weeks into the season, you still feel that way? Very much so. I mean, I think you've got Brownsburg and Hamilton Southeastern. They're both undefeated. HSE is off their best start in 14 years. Those two don't play each other until week number nine. And then HSE goes north, uh, which has always been an advantage. And now the 10th year of 6A, if you're in the northern half of the bracket, you have an easier path to get to Lucas Oil Stadium. So it is possible that those two HCC teams could see each other in a state championship game. HSE and Fishers in the northern half of the bracket, Carmel and Westfield northern half of the bracket, but in different sectionals. But yes, it, this, this is still very much a, a wide open year where for the majority of the last five or six years, there has been one dominant team that you have pointed to. While Brownsburg, I think, is the best team, 
there's still five or six teams on any given Friday would have a chance to, to, to beat them uh, if they run across them in regular season or postseason play. Greg, when I was a senior in high school, I went and made a college visit to the University of Alabama with Brady Barr, who later went on to become the host on National Geographic Explorer. And we had to stop like 55 times on the drive down for pay phones to keep getting score updates between Carmel and North Central, which was, you know, I, I, I skipped the broadcast to be able to go on a college visit. That was life to me at that age. It was always a big rivalry. I don't know that it is as much anymore. Um, but that's who the Panthers have tonight, the old Carmel rivalry. Uh, does North Central have any chance whatsoever, or is this typical Carmel? Uh, the answer to your first question is no. Um, it is still a rivalry. And when Kevin O'Shea had a really good senior class that, that kind of graduated um, at the conclusion of the 2020 season, for about a three- or four-year stretch, the rivalry was back on. And I had a chance to call, I guess it would be 2019, the game when North Central won at Carmel, and thinking about how big of a deal that was. We still use the clip of the game-winning touchdown in a lot of our promos. Uh, North Central star receiver was Richard Hamilton. I think he had three touchdowns that night. So whenever these two are good at a given sport – it's a big deal. Like, you know, I did a documentary on the Carmel North Central tennis rivalry. And if you go back to the 80s, early 90s, that was the season opening game back before they were in the same conference. Now they're no longer in the same conference, but they're going to keep playing in week number six. But unfortunately, this kind of a talent cycle and feeder system development, et cetera, all those things are down at North Central, which takes away a lot of the rivalry feel of the game that's coming up tonight. Rick, I think you'd be proud of me right now. Um, I just asked Mark to turn the channel to ESPN2 so we can watch the, the U.S. men's national team take on Japan in what they call a friendly, which I believe is being uh, played in Germany, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, better chance the U.S. men's soccer team advances out of their group at the World Cup later this year or the Colts make the playoffs? Man, that's hardcore. Uh, you know, put me on the, on, on the spot with, with two of my passions. Um, can I say both? Can I be just a ridiculously optimistic homer on this Friday morning? Sure. Um, I, I, I do think that for as ugly as the last two weeks have been for the Colts, the sheer math of playing in the AFC South and of knowing the talent that's on this roster and knowing there's 15 games left to go, still gives them opportunity to be a playoff team and a division champ. Um, the U.S.'s group is difficult. It's not impossible. It's England, Wales, and Iran. Uh, and I think there is at least a win and a couple of draws available or, or potentially two wins available against those teams. So I'd feel more optimistic right now about the U.S. men's national team. But also knowing that the, the football team has 15 weeks up to figure something out, let's go with both. Now, is Wales part of England, or are they just both part of the United Kingdom and neither one's part of Great Britain? How does that all work? So it is very much like Puerto Rico has their own national team and fields their own Olympic teams, hmm. in that sometimes the, uh, the, the country alignment is viewed differently by the Olympics, by FIFA, by FIBA, um, by whatever your governing body is. FILA. Do they wear so, FILA over there? I, I, I don't think so. I think that stopped with Grant Hill, uh, I believe. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Grant Hill and a Richard Hamilton reference. We're covering right. all the Pistons here. That's right. That kid, was, that kid was wearing a mask in that game. Yeah. D is Darko right. Milicic on <laughs> Wales? <laughs> 
Well, he's probably chasing whales uh, at some point <laughs> at, at this time. So, yes, he was, uh, he was the white whale of Joe Dumars. With, with the show this morning. Um, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland are all the same country, yet all field teams independently in terms of the World Cup, soccer competitions, etc. So England and Wales are not only in the same competition, they are in the same group, despite the fact that professional teams in Wales play in the same league as the English teams do, all the way from the first tier of English football down to the fifth tier and beyond. And the you, fifth you can tier call it soccer. That's cool. We live here. You can call it soccer. That's fine. Yeah. I, usually I call it soccer. I'm talking about like, you know, like, like the Indy 11 is a soccer team. I, since I'm bilingual when it comes to soccer, I switch back to football when talking about teams from England. What about footy? So. Don't they call it footy in some I places? I love that. I love that, Rick. They, they, so they, they do, but they, in Australia, footy is, is Australian rules football. So Which I'm a big fan of the North so. Melbourne Kangaroos, just so you know. He's great, Greg Stry, ISC Sports I Network. You're a G-Long Supercats type of guy. I thought that was a team you'd roll with. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the ruse, man. ISC Sports uh, Network. He honestly should probably be our World Cup go-to guy coming up here this fall. Uh, Colts postgame show host. Those will be the duties on Sunday for Rake. Um, you more disappointed in the O-line or D-line so far this season? Uh, always O-line because there's more expected of them. Now, again, they, they both should have been much better. Uh, the pass rush has been non-existent. Uh, part of that is scheme and what Jacksonville did because obviously you saw at least a little more pressure late in the game against Davis Mills and Houston, but it's always the O-line. You know, your expectations in professional sports you know, are dictated by how much money is that guy making? Is he living up to his contract? And knowing how heavily the Colts have invested in terms of three of the five starters along that line, that's got to be better. That's got to be your best position on the team. It's not been close to the best position on the team so far. Um, Greg Regstraw is our guest. Greg, do you agree with this statement regarding the Colts and Chiefs game? we will probably know within five series which way it's going to go. I think that's fair. Not, 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 and not even in terms of outcome of the game, just are we seeing the Colts team that we thought we would see? Are we seeing – because if you said before the beginning of the season, hey, Colts are going to lose at home to Kansas City, that wouldn't set off alarm bells. wouldn't set off the panic button. You're like, oh, the Chiefs are one of the best teams. You would hope the Colts would beat them. You know, now – and I'm not saying we should be into moral victories around here – but just for the for the kind of the, the future, everybody involved, you know, if the Colts aren't competitive on Sunday, are we having different conversations, you know, you know, over the next few weeks about players or front office or coaches or whatever the case may be? So, so I think we're going to know a lot about this football team the first couple of, of, of quarters, just given how bad all four quarters were last week and given how bad, I wouldn't even say the first quarter, the second and third quarters were uh, against the Houston Texans. You know, this team has played maybe 20 to 25 minutes of quality football so far this year out of a possible 130. Uh, and so I think we're going to know a lot about this team as to how they play in the first half on, on Sunday. They can play extremely well and not get the win. For as important as a win would be, I just want to see them play well. I just want to have some sign of hope as to what the last three to four months of the season are going to look like after Sunday afternoon. Rick, personnel-wise, do you look at anybody and think, hmm, I'd like to see the backup 
get a look or two. And I'll throw a couple names at you. I thought, and I think it's relevant for Sunday, you know, do you see a little bit more from Isaiah Rogers? Yeah. A young corner who has not played a snap in the first two games. Obviously, defensive backs are going to be a huge priority against Patrick Mahomes. At left tackle, you know, Bernard Ryman, a little banged up, didn't practice Wednesday. So I just don't think they're going to do something there. Uh, but Rodgers is probably the one that I that I come back to the most. Yeah, Rodgers comes to mind. And again, I, I do think you have to allow for the time he missed, you know, during the course of, of, of training camp because of the injury he suffered after an interception uh, against the Buffalo Bills in week one. So, so he may have been making up for some lost time. Um, and, again, I, I think you'll see more of him. And, and yes, you're accurate on Ryman. Um, I, I, it was a matter of time as to when he was going to take over the left tackle position. Uh, maybe that has been delayed by that ankle injury. But, you know, those are, those are the key guys you talk about. And the other guy is, you know, we don't think of him as a backup, but he technically is. The other, you know, head scratcher is, hey, you featured Naheem Hines on the opening drive. And dude just went away. Yeah. I could have an explanation as to why Jonathan Taylor had nine carries on on Sunday. You were playing catch up. Uh, I, I get that. Um, but but your first play of the game, Naheem Hines goes for more than twenty yards. He has another catch on the drive, and then seemingly poof out of nowhere, he's gone. Um, and so again, he's not the typical backup, but he's a guy that you go, hey, didn't you prioritize getting him more of the football in in twenty twenty two? Why did you do that on Sunday? Now let's see if that happens this coming Sunday. You know what just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I've never thought about this, Greg. But you know, playing catch up means that you've got to be fast, right? Like you're you're behind, you got to move quickly. Uh, catch up moves real slow. Isn't that weird? You ever thought about that? In my opinion, that sucked. <laughs> I'm just saying, just an observation. I, uh, Greg, would you agree with this? At left tackle, you got to make a decision. You cannot go left tackle by rotation. Agreed. It needs to be one guy. I agree with that completely. Yes. And again, uh, I, that's going to be to me. It's going to be Ryman sooner rather than later. I just don't know if it's going to be this Sunday. Uh, what do you if think? They're both going to be is? mediocre. Play the rookie. Yeah. Is the holdup just health for Ryman at this point? At, at, at this point, you would think so. Um, and, and 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 really, it's also just readiness. Um, you know, you're trying to make sure you get him. Is he going to be Anthony Costanzo or Tariq Glenn from the first snap? Probably not. But you want to make sure that, in other words, you want to make that move one time. You don't want to have to make that move and then bring Pryor back in to then replace him. I think there is a, again, the ankle slows everything down, but I also think there is a general, hey, let's make this move once, and then once we give it to him, hopefully this is your left tackle for years to come. Rake, last one from me. Um, I, I don't know how much you care about these sorts of things, but it caught my eye. Indiana is a 16-and-a-half-point underdog at Cincinnati on Saturday. I get that IU probably is fortunate to be 3-0 and right now. 16-and-a-half points seems like a lot. It is, and it's a, it is for a team, and I realize how good UC was, and they were a deserving college football playoff they team last year. They lost a ton. They, they also had, what, nine guys get drafted right. last year? And so I don't, I don't say I like the Hoosiers to win tomorrow. But I like that play. If you're going to be 16 and a half on the road, um, I, I could see Indiana covering that. So, again, fair point. And, and there, I'm not sure there's any such thing as an ugly 3-0, and but if it was, it would be Indiana, given whom they played, how they played, how things have played out. But they found a way to win those games. 
we're having a completely different conversation about the Indiana football season if they win tomorrow. I'd almost say some of the same things I said about the Colts. Heck, if Indiana's competitive, if it's like a, like a one-score game late, I'm far more impressed with that from Indiana than anything I have seen in the first three games. But if you're giving me 16.5 points on the road, uh, I may have to go to whatever company that Bowen is endorsing this week from a gambling perspective uh, and make some money off that game. Thank you. Now, here's another yes. one, Greg, now, and – we shouldn't wager on high school sports, I realize. I'm just following nope. the, the segue there. Um, Scott Wise, my buddy Scott Wise, has Roots Burger Bar now at uh, 71st and Benford. I love it. And there's Scott, one in Carmel, too, yeah, right by my parents' house. Um, and it's a great place. He's got one in Muncie. Great place. Uh, S- Scott is a graduate of Yorktown. He's going to be upset tonight when they get shocked when Shelbyville comes in and takes care of business, right? Shelbyville will be competitive in that Hell game. yeah, they will. I would probably lean towards Yorktown, but yeah. there is a definitive, you know, this year there's New Pal, and then there's kind of a, a fight for, say, like the middle of, of that league. Yorktown is in that group. So uh, Shelbyville will make it a game tonight, but I would probably Shelby's lean. Shelbyville's got the left turn signal on, buddy. Yorktown. They're changing lanes. Here come the Golden Bears. Rake will be at Ben Davis at LN tonight. You're going to hear him on these airwaves, Soccer Saturday, and then as well with the Colts postgame show coming up on Sunday. Rake, as always, thank you. See you, fellas. Final practice of the week coming up just after noon today for the Indianapolis Colts. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joins us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Mate, I brought it up earlier. I thought um, it was a great stat that you found on time of possession related to Patrick Mahomes, and I was hoping that you could share that with our listeners. I know time of possession to some, it's like, well, the analytics, you know, they say it doesn't matter. I think it has some relevance when you're facing a quarterback like him. What is that stat with Mr. Mahomes? So when, when Mahomes and company, since 2018, since he took over at quarterback, the Chiefs are three and seven when the Chiefs lose time of possession by at least 10 minutes. Um, so they're obviously finding, you know, obviously out of 10 tries, they still won three of those. So just because you do that doesn't mean you're going to win the football game. You still can't give up big plays. You still got to keep things in front of you and, and give up the explosives. Um, but it just means that if you play complimentary football, like the Colts did the last time these two teams played in 2019, where he won time of possession by 15 minutes and had the ball for 37 minutes of game time in that game, that that's typically the best way to do it is keep them on off the field and grind out first downs, you know, get 30-plus first downs, win time of possession, score in the red zone. That's the way to beat the Chiefs, and the Colts did that with a with high degree of su- uh, success in 2019, and that's what they're going to try and do on Sunday. But he's so good that he can still beat you when things in the box score don't go their way. Matt, I'm going to make a really bad analogy. I know that'll stun you, but it's the only one I can think of in, in to, to relate the two things that, that you and I do that would have in common, which, you know, there's not a lot in common between doing the play-by-play of auto racing and the play-by-play of football. But I think about, like, on the Indianapolis 500, there are occasionally restarts that I'm – I'm calling it, and I'm just kind of anticipating a routine restart. And then Alexander Rossi goes wide and passes like eight cars. And you're like, I was not expecting that at all. And suddenly, like, I've got to be on my toes and on my A game here. I would Mm -hmm. think that that's a little bit of what calling a game with Patrick Mahomes is like. Because you never know 
when that lightning's going to strike and all of a sudden he's going to catch it in a bottle on a play that you think is otherwise routine? Is that a fair yeah, statement? No, you know, great, great analogy because it, it, it does make perfect sense, at least to me. And this will be the third game that I've called, you know, between the Colts and the Chiefs. And he is just different. He, he does make you kind of have to reset your brain on how you call a game or how you anticipate things because of the – the juke and the jiving that he does in the backfield, all the pump fakes. You know, you can't get fooled by the pump fakes where you say, it's upfield. Oh, no, he's still got the ball. You know, you got to really watch him, and you really have to watch the ball um, to accurately describe all that he can do. And, and, again, I think that just goes back to what I said earlier. Even if you do do all the things you're supposed to do in the box score, he's still so good to extend plays and turn it into backyard football playground football where I mean, we've all seen it where he's outside the pocket rolling to his right and then he's just pointing downfield and he's just directing traffic on the fly you know telling a guy to go here I got time or now I'm going to scramble over to my left and you know throw off my back foot or have to re-square my shoulders he's just that that good and that talented and what he can do and that's why it's such a you know problem if you're talking about scheme against this guy do you rush four drop seven or eight uh, you know, you bring three and play dime in the back. It's just, you know, what is the best way to, to combat this guy? Because you want to keep him in the pocket, but at the same time, you don't want to give him all day to throw. He can just pick you apart with all the matchups they have with uh, Schuster and Scantling and obviously Travis Kelsey. And now they're way more, you know, democratic with the ball than they ever have been because of the loss of Tyreek Hill. So, it really is anybody on even any given play with that offense that can beat you. And so, yes, to, to go back to your earlier point, you know, Mahomes does make you as a play-by-play guy have to really concentrate. You can't anticipate things because he'll, he'll turn a three or four play uh, second play into a six or seven long play second play. And uh, you just can't be fooled with his wizardry and, you know, his ability to extend plays and make magic happen. Uh, in all four quarters some Houdini moments certainly and it'll be the first look at Patrick Mahomes for Colts fans inside of Lucas Oil Stadium Uh, again one o'clock kick here on Sunday Matt Taylor voice of the Colts is with us Matt I've I'm simplifying it a little bit too much but let's just look at the blueprint for Sunday and think of it in two ways we've talked about the ball control you think back to that 2019 meeting you had 45 carries that night for 180 yards. I mean, if Jonathan Taylor could sniff that, and obviously other backs as well, that would be huge on Sunday. The other part of that 2019 upset, you hit Mahomes eight times, you sacked him four. I mean, frankly, you mm-hmm. you, you, you injured him early in the game. He was kind of hobbled right. throughout. Right. So if you look at those two areas of the blueprint, the ball control and, let's say, getting home with a four-man rush – I feel much more confident in the ball control aspect right now than I do the four-man right. rush. Um, and I think when you factor in Kansas City's strengths and weaknesses, that plays into my thought process as well. Where are you at in your level of confidence in those two areas? Yeah, I'm with, I mean, based off what we've seen so far, I mean, the Colts have played nine quarters when you factor in the overtime. Uh, they've really only gotten consistent pressure in one of those. That didn't come until – you know, the fifth quarter in week one with Quiddy Pay with a couple of sacks. So, yeah, if you're going to only rush rush four and get consistent pressure, that means those guys got to start winning. And, you know, you talk about the injury report this week with Unique Ngakwe and landing on it with the back. He didn't practice yesterday. So that's, you know, a concern and a big storyline today. 
to factor in his availability because, you know, he's, uh, you know, I know he's had a quiet start to the season, but he's still, you know, a premier guy, consistent guy at, at that position, creating pressure, you know, every year since 2016. And, you know, DeForest Buckner still on the injury report, although he's practiced in full, but he's still, you know, landing on the injury report with a hip. You know, Quiddy Pay is still developing in year number two. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's, you got to be able to do both of those things. And if you're just talking about confidence level, you're, you're confident in the Colts' ability to run the football and get first downs and eke out a lot of long possessions in this game, maybe more so than your confidence in the pass rush. That just boils down to what you've seen so far. And I think there is a, uh, a little bit of a healthy push on that unit this week, knowing that hey, it, it, was, it was a proposed strength of this team in training camp because of the personnel they added you know, going heavy in the draft with Quiddy in 2021 in the first round, uh, you know, trading boldly for Ngakwe. You've got Buckner, who saw so many double teams last year from his defensive tackle position. Um, that, that needs to come to fruition. You know, same thing with Dio Dangbo taking that second step in year number two. If the Colts are going to win this game, they have to kind of replicate what they did three years ago in Kansas City that night, and they've got to find some way to get pressure and sacks and disruptions with only four instead of selling out and blitzing Patrick Mahomes, because we've seen that too. If you bring extra pressure or extra guys to generate pressure, he's going to pick you apart with his accuracy and the playmakers they have on the outside, and it's, it's, it's sort of a bad recipe. So you got to pick and choose your moments. You can't just play them one way the entire game, but consistently with the front four, that, that has to generate some momentum and some pressure in order for the Colts to win this game. Matt, let's say hypothetically, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. Let's say hypothetically Chris Ballard calls Frank Reich this week on the phone, and he says, Coach, I got to thinking about this, and here's what we're going to do to beat Kansas City. We're going to take the game film from our first two games, and we're going to pick the nuances of the areas that we have done well so far, and we're just going to go all in on those. Not based on where they have been good in years past, but where they have had flickers of hope or promise this year. Frank Wright calls Chris Ballard back and says, I watched the film and decided our best areas are this. What two things does he mention? Clone Grover well, Stewart. I think, yeah, I think, well, yeah, it's it's Grover Stewart. It's, uh, you know, outside of one bad kick in overtime, uh, it's been special teams play, which has been really, really good. And, you know, those those are not the, the two biggest things you want to talk about when you're uh, through two games of the season. You know, you're 0-1-1, and when you're talking about your punter being the highlight of your team so far, one of them, that's obviously not a good indication of, of how things have gone so far. Um, so I think right now the Colts are sort of recalibrating, you know, what, what they want to be and who they want to be on offense. And I think, you know, Frank kind of talked about it earlier this week, and it's it's become – all right, we need to start thinking about players and not necessary plays. And I would, I would think that the Colts are going to think long and hard about who their best players are and get those guys on the field. And to me, it's Taylor, it's Pittman, and hopefully he's healthy coming up on Sunday, and it's Hines. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of you know, two-back uh, formations, or in this case, Hines in the slot. Just have Hines and Taylor on the field 
way more than what they have been through the first two games. Now, I could be totally wrong about that, but I think if you're just talking, if you're hearing the head coach and the play caller talk about players, not plays, then, you know, your best players are 21, 28, 11, and, you know, get the ball spread it around to Alec Pierce and, and you know, uh, Mike Strawn, who I think is not too big or the, the, this game is not too big for him uh, in year number two. So, I mean, I think those are the things you're focusing on on offense. Is just we need to get the ball into our best playmakers' hands more often here. And it also starts with the offensive line, too. You know, those guys need to do a better job of protecting. I know you guys have chronicled it. Um, you know, we've talked about it as well, just the amount of investment and dedication to that offensive line across the board. And until you fix the problems that you've seen so far – with the twists and the stunts and the text games and, you know, the creativity that teams have shown to get after Matt Ryan uh, until you fix those things, that leaky faucet's still going to be there. It's a copycat league and the Colts know that. And they've spent all week trying to shore those things up. Ryan Kelly has talked about it this week. I know Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. So I think going back to your, your racing analogy, Jake, you know, with the restarts, I think this is the ultimate restart for the Colts. And it's kind of natural because it's week three. You haven't played your best. It's the home opener. You have a marquee opponent coming into Lucas Oil Stadium. And all of the, the football world is down on you saying you're overrated, you're not as good, and all of these things. It's a perfect time to go out and show people that you are the team that you think you are. You're much better than the product you put on the field. And, to, again, to use that restart analogy, let's let's restart our focus, our intensity, our energy about this season, because even though it's week three and you're winless through two games, listen, you still have 15 games left. The AFC South is very, very forgiving. The Jaguars aren't going to run away from anybody. They're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Everything you, you have uh, goal-wise is still out there in front of you. You just need to fix you know, yourself. You know, there's been a lot of self-inflection in the first two games. If you, if you correct a lot of the stuff that you've done to yourself, then I think you're going to be in, a, in a, a position where you can compete with the Chiefs, and if you play really well, you can beat this team at home. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels like on the restart here, uh, the Colts have yet to really get the car in gear, but then they realize that the other cars in their row, one of them just sideswiped the wall and the other one completely stalled, <laughs> right? And the one, that, the one that's just in front of them is driving a brand-new car that it hasn't totally figured out yet. So they're right. so you know I mean for unforgiving is a really good way of saying or forgiving I guess is a really good way of saying it right the AFC South is pretty forgiving at this point no question about yeah. it right Matt, um, something I brought up earlier and again Matt Taylor voice of the Colts is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline um, Isaiah Rogers Matt has not played a defensive snap in the first two weeks of the season I asked Gus Bradley about it earlier in the week and you know, he didn't say anything too alarming about why he's not on the field. Um, I understand the Colts' line of thinking in years past. They never wanted to play six defensive backs because they didn't want to take either Shaquille Leonard or Bobby Okereke off the field. Those two guys just meant too much to them. Well, right now, you know, and we'll see about Leonard for Sunday, you don't have that. And to me, Zaire Franklin is more of a run guy than he is kind of a kind of a coverage guy. So I look at Sunday and think, you know, man, could you throw out Isaiah Rogers? Again, you'd probably be playing more defensive backs, but – to your point about what do you do to defend Mahomes, this seems to match up with a can we find somebody new to throw out there that can help us, and also does it play right into 
the game plan of defending such a high-octane offense. So I, Rodgers is a name that I'm just curious about, Matt. You know, when you've had the struggles you've had, uh, could he be a guy that you turn to? Yeah, it's 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 definitely worth talking about because in the past when he's played, and it hasn't been a ton in terms of consistency, he's been sort of a spot starter or a contributor due to injuries in the past. He's played well. I mean, he's got, you know, the interception on Tom Brady and he's got some other good, you know, defensive moments. He had that would-be interception, a batted ball in the end zone a couple years ago as a rookie in the playoffs when he really didn't play a lot in his rookie season in the regular season, came up in a big moment, you know, there in Buffalo. So he's a good player that has just things that you just can't teach. I mean, he's got speed and quickness and makeup ability. Even when you think he's beat, he's not because of just his raw athleticism and that speed where he can, you know, cover ground in a, in a, in a short amount of time. Um, so, yeah, that to me has been interesting because he hasn't played at all. And during training camp, at least those first couple of weeks, Kevin, it was sort of 50-50 on who's going to be out there between he and Faison because maybe not 50-50, but you know, there, there, was, there was enough division of the playing time where you thought it was a competition. And then to not have him play at all defensively the first two games um, has been a little bit of an outlier on how I thought the early part of the season would go at his position. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you look at the Colts' defense as a whole and – they've been sort of feast or famine, hit or miss, you know. And I don't know if, if this has anything to do with, with Faison's involvement out there or not. I mean, I have to go back and watch, you know, the, the circumstances and situational. But, you know, the, the Colts have been one of maybe the best team in the NFL at creating three and outs so far. They've also induced a ton of punts. I think they have eight three and outs forced on defense, which is really good. But then at the same time, they've allowed five five drives of at least 10 plays to their opponents, including three on Sunday to the Jaguars, where they gave up 17 points on those on three of those possessions. So five possessions total in two games, they've given up 24 points. So it's like there's really no middle ground for the Colts. If they don't get off the field right away, then it's sort of this long, arduous, uh, you know, long possession for the, for the opponent um, and arduous for the Colts to get off the field. So that's where you want to find some consistency where if you, hey, if you give up a first down or two, you can still get off the field and make them punt from the 50-yard line or in the, in the high red zone, whatever it is. Um, and I don't know, again, where facing factors into that, but I'm with you. It has been a little bit of, cur- of curiosity because of just I, I think Isaiah Rogers is a good football player. And I didn't predict that he would have a goose egg next to his name and involvement through on defense through two games. Hey, Matt, last thing here, since this is the home opener, and I wanted to give you the opportunity on this, I, I want people to know, uh, you know, you and I don't know each other well, but I know that you are very grateful for the opportunity you have as the voice of the Colts. Um, I know that, like me, you are aware of the fact that if it weren't for people listening, we wouldn't be doing this, right? We'd actually have real jobs, which would really suck. Um, so for me, like calling the race, when, when I, my favorite part every year of calling the 500 is when the dust is finally settled and everything's kind of quiet and I'm leaving. And I look out kind of over the track and I think like, okay, what did we see today that we're going to talk about for a long time? For you personally – is you still kind of absorb the opportunity that is beset before you now for another year of calling games at Lucas Oil Stadium. What's your favorite part of the game day experience? What is the part where Matt Taylor pulls in and thinks, well, I've come a long way from 
taking a, a dinner break at my parents' house in the basement doing fake radio. What moment? <laughs> what moment is when it hits you? I think for me, that moment is right before the game and the national anthem. And you talk about it being quiet. It's it's quiet for the national anthem. Everybody's standing, and. Most of the time, you know, you've got a sold-out crowd at Lucas Oil. Everybody's in their seats, you know, just minutes before game action. And, you know, you're so high up in the press box. You're seven stories up, and you can see the entire field. You can see the entire stadium. You know, you have this, this um, you know, panoramic view of, of the stadium being that high up. And it's, it's definitely a, a pinch-me moment. You know, there's 65,000 people here all rooting for, you know, one common goal. And just to see that, you know, number of people, that, that mass of humanity, uh, but then also to, to also realize, to your point, that there's that many people, I don't know what the number is, times, times 10, times 20, times 30, I don't know what the number is, listening around town, you know, streaming the game wherever they are around the country, listening on Sirius XM, uh, all over the country, all over the world. And for whatever reason, they're tuned into the Colts game that day. And it's your job to paint the picture, to enhance their game day experience, to tell them what's going on, to put into context, you know, what's happening in the game, uh, you know, describe that in a, from a historical standpoint. I mean, it's just a huge responsibility. And so to look out at all of those people right before the game and also to know that I'm, I'm a kid from Indianapolis, I grew up 15 minutes from Lucas Oil Stadium. To have this job in the state, in the city that I grew up in, the odds of that happening are pretty minuscule, where I don't have to chase a dream somewhere else and move my family. I can do it here and not have to uproot people. Um, that is something that's not lost on me. So, yeah, home games when the you know, the 100-yard the uh, national, the, the, the American flag is unfurled, that that's a big pinch me moment on how lucky I am to be doing what I'm doing, and how much of responsibility it is, and it's just not lost on me. And it's such a cool job and responsibility that I so much enjoy and look forward to. And a well-deserved opportunity that you were granted and have continued to do over the past couple of years. Rick Venturi, along with Matt Taylor, Lara Overton on the call coming up here Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Our coverage will begin. At uh, 10 o'clock, I think network-wise, 9 o'clock, JMV is over at Bullseye Event Center. I usually join him in the 9 o'clock hour on home games. Bates, have a great call on Sunday. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Hey, congratulations again on Maximilian, Kev. Really, really happy for you, man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. So if you're just joining us this morning, uh, where have you been? Kevin apparently had a stale coffee, and so he has not yet woken up, which means that uh, his – ears weren't necessarily on a swivel of the way he was saying certain phrases just a little bit ago but we did learn that if his head was on a swivel and could turn 270 degrees he would be an owl um somebody pointed out on twitter a very good point owls would make great dbs in football because they would never actually get a pass interference right they'd always be able to get their head around um we talked about the Colts and the Chiefs extensively and what exactly Indianapolis might be in for, and is this the last chance for this team to show that Frank Reich's their guy? How have you guys been doing the picks? Uh, well, kind of like you in the last segment. We're a bit, uh, a bit off to a rough start. I don't understand, like, 
do we pick all the college game, like all the local college games, or have you guys just we, done we Colts? Or? We've just kind of done like plays that we like. We haven't focused in on either ones with the college, and then we yeah we do Colts, and then any NFL plays. You talking like. about in the pick them? Yeah. Like in the oh, no, we're talking about just like show, like not 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 the, not the show pick them on ESPN. We're talking about just like our picks. On our nine forty five pick yeah. segment. It's been rough. It's been not great. It's okay. I mean, I would start here. I think again, I would hope that IU covers. So I will go with IU sixteen and a half. I have that as well. Like Cincinnati lost a ton from last season. You look at their season so far. They lost at Arkansas. It's very respectable. It's a you know road SEC game. Kennesaw State, Miami, Ohio. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't understand that line at all. I mean, I get it. IU is very fortunate to be 3-0. But 16 and a half? Yeah. I would hope. That's pretty high. The only other college play I have is, uh, Jake, I'm sorry, Wake Forest plus 7.5. That feels like a high line for me as well. Clemson's solid, but Wake Forest will give them a run for their money, I think. I, I would agree with that. I'm very nervous about Notre Dame. North Carolina puts up like 45 points falling out of bed. Notre Dame can't move at 45 yards in the drive. I'm going to take Kansas, giving seven over Duke. Some people thought college game day should have gone there. Undefeated Kansas, undefeated Duke. I saw something that said like Duke, Kansas, Indiana, Kentucky are all undefeated. Jay Billis would have shown up just out of, you know. (laughs) That's right. What's going on here? Although, you know what? I say that. I'm going to reverse I'm going to reverse course here. I'll take Duke because Kansas is 3-0. and and Nothing says convincing like that. That's uncharted territory for them. So, I'll take Duke to pull the surprise there. Uh, I got two NFL plays that I really like. I'm going to go with the Jags to cover seven on the road against the Chargers. Justin Herbert looked banged up to me. Last Thursday, I'm curious how he will look. Keenan Allen, his injury situation. I like the Jags to cover, and I'm going to take the home underdog Miami Dolphins to cover five and a half against the Bills. Short week for the Bills. Traveling down there, playing in that heat. Fair. Take the Dolphins to cover. I That's have fair. the Dolphins as well in mind. The only other one I've have, I've like the Lions plus five and a half against the Vikings. I thought about that one. I like the Raiders over Tennessee. I think the Colts. The Raiders are on the help. road, right? Yeah. Yes. That spread is what, like two? I think it's like one and a half. Is it that small? And what is uh, what is the line in the New Orleans game? Saints and who are they playing? The, Saints the Panthers. Panthers. Saints have got to be a slight favorite, right? Yeah, I think the Saints are. The Saints are only. Saints t- are two and a half point favorites. Yeah, give me the Panthers. Saints. Give me the Saints yeah. to cover against Carolina. Jameis Bain get up a little bit, so that could be the reason why with that. But Carolina just can't move the ball. So well, give me the let's look ahead to Sunday in the home opener. Five and a half point spread. Again, it is the biggest home underdog in the Frank Reich era. The Colts are looking for their first win in the month of September since 2020. Kansas City, they have been incredible in the month of September. Patrick Mahomes' last five road games. 17 TDs and one interception. The over-unders at 50 and a half. Mark Dykton, lead us off. Well, I predicted the the cost for tickets earlier, and you guys are like, wow, that's impressive. So if I hit this one, and I'm being generous with my score for the Colts, I've got the Chiefs waxing them 38-17. And I'm being generous with the 17 points. Wow. That's a big number. They've lost all, uh, all, you know, 
benefit of the doubt for me. Uh, I'll go next because uh, I think Jake has kind of hinted at where he has gone with his pick. I will go with the Chiefs 31, the Colts 23. Again, I think the Jonathan Taylor aspect to the blueprint can work. Um, but I feel like Kansas City is going to be pretty locked in knowing that their margin for error is slim, number one seed-wise, with what Buffalo has done. Uh, the Gus Bradley history against this uh, offense is not good. I will go 31-23 Chiefs. This is the last benefit of the doubt week I'm going to give the Colts. But with the way things have gone, it's now or never, in all honesty. If they go out and lay flat in this, they have absolutely zero excuse. So I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt. They get Jonathan Taylor uncorked, and they finally go with what works for them. 29-27, the Colts get the win. What would that be, like 20 bucks to win 80, something like that? Something like that. Lay a little scratch on it, Jake. The money line. Um, that in Indiana. Yep. Every money line for the Hoosiers. No, no, no. Uh, I just took the took the point. Everybody have a great weekend. Kevin and Corey will be back on Monday.